Welcome back to the Breast Cancer Podcast. We're excited to introduce you to our next guest, Dr. Ann Pellet. Not only is she a breast surgeon, she's also a plastic surgeon and a breast cancer survivor. She's been featured in People Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Good Morning America, just to name a few. And yes, we are totally name dropping. Dr. Pellet is also a mom athlete, researcher, and educator. Now get this, she is currently pioneering an entirely new way of treating breast cancer with combined mastectomy and reconstruction technique that preserves the nipple, the skin, and the sensation. Simply put, that's a sensation-preserving mastectomy. Let's listen in as we get to know Dr. Pellet. Welcome to the Breast Cancer Podcast. I'm breast surgeon, Dr. Deepa Hala Harvey, and I'm Monica Brooks, a breast cancer advocate. And we are both breast Breast cancer cancer survivors. survivors. We're here to talk about all things breast cancer. From surgery to survivorship, we know firsthand the challenges a breast cancer diagnosis can bring. We are here to tackle topics that impact our lives. Let's get started. Thank you so much for making the time today. So Um, For the viewers who don't know, uh, Dr. Ann Pellet is a breast and plastic surgeon um, in California, and you are very well known everywhere. Everyone loves you, and uh, uh, you're doing great things in this world, and I can't wait to start talking to you about all the great things that you're doing. And again, thank you so much for taking the time today uh, to be on the podcast. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. And you're a busy mom of three, right? And yep. uh, October has been busy for you. It definitely <laughs> has been. It's yeah. kind of nice that hopefully November will settle down a little bit. Yes, yes, yeah. And all the great things you're doing and uh, teaching other surgeons around the country to teach them about the sensation preserving mastectomy. I can't wait to talk about it. But briefly for viewers, if you could just describe your, you know, how you got started into doing sensation preserving mastectomies, that what motivated you to start that? Yes, for sure. I mean, honestly, the way we started doing this, and I say we, it's me and my husband, uh, Zeev Pellet, he's a peripheral nerve and plastic surgeon. And we honestly started after I got diagnosed with breast cancer myself. I got diagnosed at 37, you know, out of nowhere, like so many people, no family history. I felt like I was young and healthy. Um, But honestly, the hardest part about all of it was trying to make a decision about what kind of surgery to have. And I knew with a mastectomy that things that would be totally numb. And one of my good friends had had a mastectomy a couple of years before and would tell me she didn't even feel like her sports bra was on. You know, she didn't know that, that it was on. And I just couldn't wrap my brain around it, being that young, being diagnosed and thinking about that. So I, I ended up having a lumpectomy primarily because of that reason. And literally within the month of my own surgery, my husband and I had been talking about why you couldn't keep nerves and reconstruct nerves in the breast the way we do in other parts of the body. So about a month after my own surgery, we did our first sensation preserving mastectomy and haven't looked back since it's almost five years now. That is so wonderful. Had this been done before? Have other surgeons have done reconstruction or or attaching the native nerve to the graft for women? Yeah. So actually since the nineties, people have been doing this with flap reconstruction. You can do flap reconstruction with a DIP flap from your belly, take that and connect it with nerves up in the chest. I think the thing that we've done and really tried to pioneer is the idea of trying to actually keep nerves and actively reconstruct the ones that you can't keep safely um, all at the same time and with any kind of reconstruction. So we offer this to patients having flaps, having implants, 
having flat closure. It actually works for everyone. I actually was telling Monica, I did my first uh, nerve preservation mastectomy last week. <laughs> this is all because of you, Dr. Pellet. It's oh, because so of your sweet. inspiration. So, yeah. So I preserved nerves on both sides and it was a pretty long length. It was coming laterally on the pectoralis muscle and nice. uh, the plastic surgeon used the graft to attach it. So, I mean, of course it's, you know, I'm, I want to do more of them and my plan is to eventually come and you know, visit you and, you know, work with you and your husband, we'll bring our plastic surgeons. We are very lucky to have plastic surgeons who can do both autologous as well as implant-based reconstruction. And, um, and I do a lot of uh, mastectomies. I'm also a breast cancer survivor, Mm -hmm. um, was diagnosed at 41 and I did undergo a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. I had complications where I had to have implants taken out because of infection. And then a year later I had a deep reconstruction. And so, Mm -hmm. Um, I have some sensation, but not a lot at all. So, um, so it's so great to hear that you're doing things to help women, but for sure, sensation is such a big thing for women to be able to feel a kid giving them a hug or, you know, the husband touching them or, you know, whatever that is, it's, it's a, it's a huge component of quality of life. And I think it's such an important thing to talk about as far as the options that are available and also the outcomes too. I appreciate your sharing that though, because I do think a lot of people don't know that they're going to have these sensation changes. And then the other thing is that injuring nerves doesn't just cause numbness. It can cause pain too. And people can get balls of scar uh, tissue at their nerve sites and then end up really having a ton of pain afterwards. So I think like you said, expectations talking about outcomes is so critical Because otherwise people are surprised and it's a really difficult thing to make a surgical choice if you don't know what might happen afterwards. But we've been really excited with sensation preserving mastectomies. I think we've done 650, 700 almost at this point and um, are really seeing pretty consistently about 85 to 90% of our patients get back most, if not all sensation. Um, And so it's really neat to see people will send messages saying, oh, I feel totally normal. I don't even think about like you were saying, you know, I don't even think about having had cancer, which is pretty incredible. Or we do a lot of prophylactic mastectomies in young women, primarily who have a BRCA mutation. And many of them will tell me they feel like taking time bombs, but they've been waiting to have mastectomies because the loss of sensation was so scary to them. So that part's been really incredible to see these young women being super empowered to take control of their health, do something active, um, but still get to feel like themselves again. Yeah. The the work that you're doing is so incredible for the breast cancer patients and the breast cancer world. And uh, um, yeah, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the hard work you and your husband are doing. And you're, you're just such a beautiful, lovely woman. And I can't wait to meet your husband someday. So hopefully oh, no, soon. You would so. Love that, but I love that you're doing them too. I mean, that's really yes. incredible. I think the fact yeah. that you know, firsthand what yeah. the sensation feels like, yeah. and you know how important it is to have yeah. done what you started doing this week. And I just love that story. So yeah, much. yeah. It's because of you. <laughs> there, uh, so maybe talk about candidates who, who can get this preservation done and who cannot. It really depends on your surgical team, kind of where their expertise is and where their comfort level is. You know, when we started, we were picking primarily people who are going to have relatively small reconstructions um, because we weren't sure how much oh, you have to basically keep a certain amount of your the patient's own nerve and then potentially use a graft, but the graft is only so long. So someone, let's say, who has large breast, large size implants, it might be difficult to get a graft that's long enough. So when we started, it was 
kind of smaller breasted people. You can do it both for cancer or for prevention. Um, and I think that's a good place to start. As your team gets more comfortable, though, we honestly offer it really to ideally all of our patients um, and say we will try to preserve all of the nerves we can safely. And I think that's the key is that a lot of times people hear the word preserving and they think somehow it's preserving breast tissue. So I get asked almost every week by someone who says, oh, but are you going to do a less safe mastectomy? And so I think it's really important. We know we will try to save nerves. We will reconstruct them when we can, but we have to do a good mastectomy, be taking all the breast tissue that we can um, and not ever sacrificing that for the sake of keeping nerves. So I have to ask you as another breast cancer surgeon and survivor, do you share your story with your patients? I was just talking about that to someone yesterday. And I think one of the things that I found is that we know that everyone's journey and story is different, right? And one of the things that can be difficult with our patients is they'll come in and say, oh, my, you know, friend, second cousin told me this, and then they're terrified and yeah. traumatized because they've heard the story. So I try not to bring in my story unless I think it's going to help. Yeah. And there's yeah. very clear times that I do think it helps. Yeah. Um, for instance, not everyone's experience is like this, but I take tamoxifen and I've been taking it for four and a half years now. And I actually don't have side effects. And I think a lot of that is because I exercise so much, but also other tips and tricks I have for how to minimize side effects. And so I will share that when people tell me they don't even want to try to take tamoxifen because they're going to have side effects. So I try to be careful with how I share, but it is very connecting. I mean, I don't know if you found that with your patients, but I have people yeah. who literally come see me saying, yeah. I knew you would get what this is like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have patients on a, on a weekly basis. You know, everyone like looks you up now anymore before they come. So, yeah. you know, my story's out there, just like your story's out there. So people do say, oh yeah, you've been through it. But then I will say my cancer was stage one. I did not need to get chemotherapy. You know, I'm taking tamoxifen and these are the side effects I have. And I, that's exactly what I say is I exercise, I do weightlifting and weightlifting has been the best thing for me in terms of like uh, mitigating the side effects of tamoxifen. And so, um, so I talk about those things, but I, like you, I don't want it to be all about me. It's about the patient. And again, every journey is different. And I don't ever pretend like what it feels like to have, you know, chemotherapy because I didn't have that. Dr. Pella, being so young and diagnosed with breast cancer, what are ways that you had to advocate for yourself? And what are some things that helped to carry you through such a hard time? To be honest, I loved my team, but I still felt like I needed to advocate. You know, this really is the choice I want. And I understand other women who got diagnosed at 30 might make a different, in their 30s might make a different choice. And I think that part of it is incredibly important. Um, I love talking about exercise. I used to run every single day. I'd wear my running clothes to radiation because psychologically that was so helpful for me to go running right yeah. afterwards. And so I like talking about that. And I do think that those are the moments we can share. So when you are in that first place of just sheer fear of diagnosis and being overwhelmed with all your choices, you can see people on the other side of it, you know, who have gotten past it and are in a good place. Um, so yeah. I love that you do, you share that also with your patients. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you are a marathoner, right? You run marathons. Is that correct? Yeah. I run I marathons. That's, yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. When do you have time? My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, exercise is my one thing that I, yeah. it keeps me sane, but I also, it is my thing that I can do to be there for my family and and as long as possible and, and get hopefully really truly get past this cancer. So I travel a lot, as you mentioned, with teaching and conferences. Yeah. And the one thing I promise myself is that I will work out every single day. 
And I yeah. do, and I look at agendas before I come to meetings and I figure out where my windows are. I just yeah. go back from the gym. I just, yeah. I make it, I just, it's the only thing I promise myself yeah. to take care of myself. Cause otherwise yeah. I just can't be out in the world doing what I'm doing. If I'm not taking care of myself. Yeah. How do you help your patients who struggle with exercise, seeing how you're, you know, you're going, 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 but like for someone that just needs to start, like what advice or how do you encourage them? So I love that question because it's something that I do worry sometimes about um, this concept of something calls it a, a super survivor. I have a good friend of mine who got diagnosed young and she started this incredible uh, virtual survivorship network. And we were talking about if you're out there talking about exercising and feeling good and all that, it can actually make other people feel really guilty that they're not being a super survivor. And so I think first off, giving people the space that wherever you are and wherever you're coming in, that is okay. You know, you don't have to be running marathons tomorrow and you don't have to be doing all of that. Um, and that every little bit counts. So knowing what you're in your context, if you're in the midst of getting chemo, and there's no part of you that's going to be able to be running, that's fine. But then maybe decide that you're going to try to take your dog for 15 minutes or do a you know, walk around the block with your kids or whatever that looks like. But I think the starting small is really key. Um, and then I also suggest to people um, figure out small blocks of time if big blocks of time feel like too much. And because it can be super complicated to coordinate different appointments and you're running from one place to the other. And the last thing you want is to add on exercise to make you feel more strung out about coordinating. So do, do 10 minutes of core in the morning. And then, you know, you've done something and then maybe you can find another 10 minutes later to do something. So I think the breaking it up in small bits, the starting small and knowing whatever you do makes a difference. Um, and meeting yourself where you are and giving yourself grace about it, um, does make a difference for people. That's great. Because I think people are just like this it, exercise can seem like this really big intimidating thing, yeah. but it doesn't have to, if you just start 10 minutes a day and say, you know what, I'm going to start with 10 yeah. this week or this month. And then yeah. just gradually increase your time or trying different things. I think that's super helpful because it doesn't have to be an hour workout every single yeah. day. Okay. Yeah. Just move. <laughs> yeah. Move your yeah. body. Yeah. Just move. Just move. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I tell people two things. One is you will never feel like exercising. Like if you're not used to exercising on a regular basis, you'll never, you know, don't ever wait for the motivation to happen. Just mm -hmm. pick yourself up and go just like you brush your teeth. You, you just get up and go and run, walk, whatever. I mean, American Cancer Society showed half an hour a day, five days a week is really all you need to do. It doesn't have to be running marathons like you mentioned. And if you start making that first step, then after the end of exercise, you just have this endorphin release and you feel so great. And like you said, 10 minutes, you know, 15 minutes a day, different, you know, times of the day, it's so much beneficial than not doing anything. Well, and it's amazing how many parts of getting past breast cancer it, it helps with, you know, that's, what's incredible to me. So if you look at recurrence data, it is remarkable, right? There's very little yes, else yes. that we can do that's, yes. that's better than that. Right. Yes, so that's the yes. first part. So even just that, but then I think you add in think of all the different medications we take and the impact that that has on bones, joints, and muscles, um, the psychological piece of it, of getting through survivorship and screening and anxiety around that. I mean, there are just so many different pieces that exercise helps with that. I truly think if, if my patients ask, what is the one thing to do? I really am like, just, just exercise a little bit and start yeah. like, start small. But I think that is the most important thing people can do for themselves. Yeah. You know, at this uh, conference that they talk about, and we know that tamoxifen decreases your risk of developing a recurrent by 50%, exercise decreases it by 30% without the side effects. And so if you can remember that in your mind, that my goodness, exercise has such a huge positive benefit. And not to mention 
you know, uh, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, and most common cause of death is heart disease for us women. And that's what I tell women is like, we are all, you know, we're all going to die of heart disease and not breast cancer. And so, you know, you can decrease the risk of dying of heart disease if you exercise. So I put it in a perspective that it's not just breast cancer, which by itself is a great number. You're decreasing the recurrence, but also, you know, cardiovascular disease, which is the number one killer for women. So I love um, that. That's so great to give people that context. Yeah, <laughs> you can yeah. kind of give them no choice, but to exercise. That's so right. Good. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I had a question. If we could go back to the nipple or the sensation preservation, um, you mentioned that the outcomes like 95, not 90 to 95% feel the sensation still, how much of the sensation do they still have? Like, is it a hundred percent of like, like their baseline before surgery versus like afterward? So what we use as a kind of metric is seeing if people can get back to kind of within a baseline range of what they felt before. So it doesn't mean you're going to be exactly back, but you're kind of within this standard deviation, if you will, from a research standpoint of your baseline sensation. I would say one of my patients told me this the other day, and I think this is probably standard for most people. She said on one side, it feels basically back to normal. And the other side, she feels everything, but it feels maybe about 80% of where she started. And I do think that's about a pretty good way of thinking about it is that you'll probably feel everything. Uh, We talk to people, we really try to dive into topics that unfortunately are kind of under address in women's health in general, like sexuality and intimacy. And we ask people about, you know, are your breasts able, if they, they are important to you as part of intimacy, are you still able to have them be a part of intimacy? And people will tell us, yes, that they can actually feel touch and temperature with their nipples and still kind of have that be a a part of their life, which is amazing. So I would say we're asking the questions and getting information that most people are feeling most everything. It just may be a little less than they started. And that the, the intimacy part is huge huge that I don't think even gets talked about enough after a a mastectomy is like, Hey, that you mean, you're not going to, you're not going to feel much, you know, around your breast area. And, and that's just, it's so important. Yeah. And and then when you lose it, you you do feel a bit helpless. So the fact that they're able to, you're able to help survivors still have a great quality of life is like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, thank you for saying that because I think the other thing that's so difficult is there's so many parts of breast cancer care that impact intimacy and sexuality, right? So, and there's some of it, unfortunately we can't control very well. You know, we can manage things like some of the sexual side effects and try to do better, but there's still sort of an inherent part to some extent of some of the things that we give people like chemotherapy or hormone blocking therapy potentially. So it feels really good to be able to actually change something that we can impact as opposed to some of the things that are more difficult and more inherent. So when I was first diagnosed, I was all about, you know, my cancer was found on screening mammogram. I didn't feel a mass. And so I was all about advocating for mammograms, but I feel like it has evolved and it's been changing on what things I advocate for and what things I'm standing for and what things I want to empower, you know, just people in general, not doesn't have to be patients. What has that been for you? Do you feel the same as it has evolved since you were diagnosed? Um, I think for me, I see people now as a result of the nerve spraying mastectomy is kind of from all over the country slash world some days. And um, people come to me with so many misconceptions about what kind of treatment they need. Um, And it's one of my favorite things, though, that also kind of throws people for such a huge loop when they come thinking they have to have mastectomies. And they never wanted a mastectomy. They always wanted a lumpectomy. And I tell them that they can have it. And they're so surprised. You know, they didn't, they didn't even come to me for that. And so I think one of the things that for me really gets me out of bed every single day is trying to make sure that people know all of their options. They know how to ask about options. 
get second, third, fourth opinions, yeah, yeah. advocate for themselves and not just take what they're told is their only, is their only option as their only option. And, um, that's for me been kind of consistent throughout. Um, but I do feel unfortunately that that need is just as strong as it was when I was diagnosed five years ago. Um, and so I do feel like there are some communities we're a part of there are things like your podcast, you know, people are really working to change awareness of options. So I do think it's getting better, but certainly it's uh it's been yeah. a real challenge spreading information about options. Even in the United States, which is a first world country, there are pockets of the country where people don't get standard of care. Mm-hmm. And you know, people don't get all these options that you're talking about. And I, I think it's so important to do what we are doing, you know, spreading the word, giving the patients power back, uh, you going in the community and talking and you are teaching all these other physicians who then can go back into their community and help so many patients. So you're making an impact at such a bigger level. I hope I hope you realize what you're doing, Dr. Pellet. You're making Thank a huge you. difference in this world. I make an impact locally for my patients, but you're like making an impact by helping other physicians learn this technique and then they can go and take that into their community and help hundreds and thousands of women. So you're helping those women indirectly. So I hope you take a minute to kind of, you know, tell yourself. Thank you. No, I really appreciate you saying that because I will say, you know, having you know, still relatively young kids, it's definitely a struggle some days trying to, you know, know that hopefully I'm role modeling well for them, but it doesn't yeah, yeah. always get it. It doesn't always feel good to be leaving yeah. and traveling so much. Um, but I do, I do really appreciate what you, what you said, because I <laughs> yeah. think those are the moments that even as you were talking, I thought, okay, I will keep, I will keep traveling, <laughs> I will keep teaching. And so yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that because I do need yeah. to take those in for it to be okay with how much. You yeah, know, no, no. I mean, the mom guilt is so real, right? And so. how old are your children, Dr. Pella? Uh, I have an 11 year old son and eight year old twin uh, daughter. So oh, awesome. I just wonder like the extent of what our kids yeah. understand what we're doing or like you, the impact do they know, like the real big impact you're having on people's lives. Yeah. And yeah. that will come with time if it's not happening now. But I think as moms, survivors, we show up and do our best. That's what yeah. I can guarantee my child Yeah, is like, yes. I will show up for you and do my best yeah. every day. And sometimes I may not be here for that, but I'm always doing my best. And sometimes yeah. that's what helps get me through yeah. <laughs> when I yeah. feel busy or overwhelmed with things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I think the other thing like you're kind of mentioning is also that passion for something. Um, you yeah. know, our, our son has gotten very into musical theater and acting, which is so lovely. And he's very uh, excited, but I watch him and yeah. he's a to these casting calls and oh, making, wow. getting all of his reels together and, you know, all the stuff that is totally not my world. But what I watch is that passion and drive yeah. that he has for something yeah. he loves. And I just feel like I know that my kids see, you know, they see yeah. how I feel about taking care of patients, yeah. see how yeah. excited I get teaching people. And so I do feel like yeah. that part, at least it's been so wonderful seeing them get that. Cause I just hope yeah. that them, that they love doing something as much as yeah, I, love what I do. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. I think they see yeah. your passion and what you love and that you're yeah. good at it. And then they're going to want that same kind of passion and love for what they do, no matter what yeah. that is, if it's right, theater exactly, and whatever it is, I'm so grateful to have met you and thank you so much again for taking the time to come on our podcast. And how could our listeners find more about you and what you do? Yeah, our website is um, annpelletmd.com. And I try to do a lot of education on Instagram as well. It's my favorite place to do it. So at Dr. Ann Pellet. Yes. Oh, Yes, I follow you. You're amazing. You're great. So <laughs> you are also, I love this. But no, thank you so much for having me again. It really means so much to have you supporting this and all yes. of the education that you do and for our community. So thank you both so much. Thank awesome. you. All thank right. You. Thanks so much for Safe your time. travels going home. All right. Thank you. All nice right. to meet you, Monica. <laughs> nice Bye. to meet you too. Bye. Bye. So my goodness. That was awesome. I get so excited by her. I learned a lot. I, I get I get so excited. I just 
So, you know, you sort of sometimes feel alone in this world, like, especially being like doing what I do and then having gone through what I've gone through. I just feel like there's nobody else in this world who is like, knows what I'm feeling, you know, like wearing the both hats, the survivor hat and the surgeon hat. And so just meeting her, I I just was so inspired by her passion and her desire to help people. Dr. Pellet is just inspiring and amazing. And um, it just gave me goosebumps talking to her. I love hearing about physicians, surgeons, challenging status quo. Yeah. You know, like, okay, let's go in and just do what we normally do. But to say, you know what? Yeah. Let's try something new. Like that's where big change happens. And I love seeing people push that and a bit more and more and just to be able to have this. And then the ripple effect of what she's doing and teaching other surgeons to do the same thing. But like that in itself is awesome. Dr. Pellet is helping me incorporate this sensation preserving mastectomy in my own practice. I'm so grateful to and her. It, and from that, you're helping patients. Like that's yes. what it all comes down yes. to is, yeah. is making the world a better place. Yes. Sometimes yeah. it's one patient at a time. One patient at a time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what a great interview. That was amazing. I learned a lot. So. Thanks Dr. Ann Pellet. That was yes. awesome. All right, everyone. Well, that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.